Welcome to Money in the Air, the music podcast about neighboring rights, the royalties you earn from the public performance of your recordings and the business of music in general. Brought to you by IFR, the International Association for Artists and Rights Holders. I'm Andrew, a royalty consultant helping artists to collect on their value. Hi, I'm Gina Deacon. I work for Absolute Rights Management and I work with record labels and artists to ensure we claim the royalty income due to them. I'm Stacey Haber and I'm from Inside Baseball Music Publishing. Hi, I'm Tanya Oliveira. I work for Transparency Entertainment Group. I focus on World X USA neighboring rights on the performer side and rights holder side. Hi, welcome back to Money in the Air, the neighboring rights podcast brought to you by IFR, the International Association for Artists and Rights Holders. Today I have with me Andrew, Gina, and Tanya. And guys, I really want to talk about end dates and other things related to licensing and how to fill out forms when you register a recording. To be more specific, when they ask you what the end date of the rights ownership is, do you ever put down $29.99 as the year? I don't because most of my clients, they own the rights and always will do. I put the start date as the 1st of January of the year of release, which is what PPL actually advised, the 1st of January. So you get, obviously, the biggest window of time to collect royalties for that release year. And then I leave the end date blank, and that is an option. But if for whatever reason they wanted to get an exclusive license deal with, you know, Rough Trade or Sony or whoever, then they would have to let PPL know, or I would as the rep, let PPL know and say, okay, so now there's an exclusive license deal in place. The end date is now 1st of Jan 2022. And then the start date for the licensee is 2nd of Jan 2022. And you'd give them the end date for that license agreement as well? Yes, of course, I would do that as well. Yes, you have to let PPL know they are none the wiser unless you tell them, you inform them, and then they can make changes. They can do a bulk mass change, which saves a lot of time. So you tell them by email? Yeah, simple as that. That's great. Is it the same at SoundExchange, Andrew? SoundExchange, you have the option of selecting a specific end date, or you can opt in to do in perpetuity. So when I'm registering on behalf of the artist who owns the recordings, I'm generally doing in perpetuity. However, if they're doing a licensing deal with a distributor or a major label, the artist can go into the sound exchange database and check to see what are the end dates that were inputted for their specific catalogs that they've licensed to the distributor or label. And if it's incorrect, you can have that revised, but it does need to go through a dispute process because they've licensed it, they've inputted the data, and it needs to get amended by approval from the distributor. So it's just a assume stuff isn't getting put in correctly and don't assume that it is going to end up at sound exchange in the way that it's intended to be. Got yeah. And is a way around for the licensee to have new ISRC numbers? I would argue that keep the same ISRC number because of the matching and just make sure that the termination date is correct and is in agreement to your licensing agreement. It starts really messy as well. If you have too many different ISRCs going on, you can't track your recording and somebody can be claiming for one year and somebody be claiming for another year and and then all sorts of disputes arise. So each recording should maintain its own ISRC code. And would you recommend that if it's the first license, but it's an administration agreement, so the first ISRCs should be with the artist rights holders prefix or is it okay for them to 
take over the prefix of the licensee when the license ends. Cool. So it's good to know that's a thing that artists can do. They don't need it to be in their own prefix. You want to have as little duplicates as possible because the ISRCs are matched to all of the work IDs that are internal for each of the societies. You don't want to have multiple ISRCs and multiple work IDs. It's just going to create all sorts of a mess inside of your catalog. One ISRC that's linked to work ID, ideally, is best practices. Great. Thank you very much. That makes it really clear. And the other thing that they should be aware of when doing a license is about what? Maybe reporting at the end? We've come across a lot of labels that have licensed their repertoire and the label or record company have been collecting on their behalf. And then that agreement has ended because no set date was entered onto the PPR database. They have just continued to collect any royalty income for 10, 20 years rolling on and on and on. And it's only when somebody new comes along and eyeballs the information, the data and says, you know, okay, so you should have had the rights back, say, 10 years ago. And they've got the documentation to prove that, that we then go and challenge it and back claim as far as we possibly can on their behalf with PPL. But documentation is the important part, because without that, but no proof that we are entitled to claim on their behalf. So basically, what I'm trying to say is, keep a track of your data. If you've licensed it to somebody and that has come to an end, ensure that you reclaim it back as the rights holders yourself. Right. So the end date doesn't mean PPL stops sending it to that person. The end date is just an indication of when you can go in and reclaim it. Most people don't put end dates. That's the thing. So if there is no end date on there, it will just continue to pay to that company or that label as long as it's ongoing. In SoundExchange, it will have a specific recording, ISRC, and then it will have start end date for a specific licensee. And then you can enter a second claim for anything after that. But if it's overlapping in any of the duration, that's where I'll create a dispute. You can proactively claim in the future for what you're going to receive. Maybe that's a proactive measure that you can do. Always at Sound Exchange, it's the same. You have to notify them of changes. They won't know automatically. They won't do it automatically. No. Cool. That's great to know. Thank you. Anything else we should know? It's not up to the prior administrator or licensee to say, hey, stop paying me, go pay another party if it's in the interest of the next party, but whether it be you or your next licensee to go collect on the future income. And if you backdate it, like Gina mentioned, will they reclaim the money from the wrong payee? Yes. So all depends on the society's practice. So at SoundExchange, it's going to be three years. They can, you can go back and backdate the, the claims. So there'll be a retroactive adjustment They'll debit, they'll remove the income that was paid out to the wrong party, and they're going to adjust it to your account. But this all is subject to the adjustment windows. That's great news. Good. Thank you. I know what I need to do. I think everyone who's listening does now too. Thank you very much, guys. And remember, become a member of IFR because you'll have questions like this and you'll want to get in touch. So go to www.iafar .co.uk. You can email us from there and you can also click the join now button. See you next time.